0: This is the show that is restoring prudence to politics. I'm Lynette Grunvig.
1: And I'm Juan Davalos, and you're listening to us on Radio Free Hillstill 101.7 FM, or maybe on SoundCloud or iTunes or perhaps YouTube.
0: Yeah, we do have this on YouTube now that we've been doing Zoom, so that's exciting. Um, so I think, you know, we've just been talking for several weeks because it's the only thing people are thinking about, and that's coronavirus. And it just... the. I, it's, it's just crazy, and I was reading something from ancestors of mine from Idaho who lived through the 1918 flu, and what they wrote is that when they lived through the 1918 flu, everyone they knew was sick. All of their neighbors were sick, and everyone in their household was sick. The only person who wasn't sick was their four-year-old child who had the unenviable task of them cleaning out everybody's chamber pots, and he was four years old. That situation is drastically worse than what we're going through today. And yet somehow they got through it, survived it, and didn't utterly destroy their society in, in the process. And I, I think Juan is going to talk about this, but one of the things that bothers me considerably is that people seem to think, <laughs> to even suggest that the utter destruction of our economy means you hate human beings and you hate human lives. No. What I'm concerned about is that this will actually cost more lives, drastically more lives in the long run than what we're experiencing now. There are much worse things in the world than coronavirus. And just like we weren't prepared for coronavirus, we will not be prepared for the cataclysm that may be coming. And that's just stupid.
1: You My- just want people to die.
0: <laughs> of course. Of course. It's not that I think that Great Depression level catastrophes are, are a horrible thing. No, naturally, I just hate human beings.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, You said and this was your ancestors in Idaho? Idaho, yeah. Farming. It's not a very populated state
0: <laughs> it's not even now and they were farmers so they weren't in a populated area
1: <laughs> i'm guessing that in 1918 it wasn't very populated either
0: no i don't
1: think so <laughs> yeah um i think um your what you just said reminded me that the babylon bee has this great uh uh meme i guess you would call it uh, and it's, it's it says COVID-19 talking points translation guide. And, you know, they have several talking points and people saying, oh, I'm concerned about, you know, I'm a little worried about government overreach. <laughs> and the translation is, I want people to die. And they have a whole list of things like that. And it, it does really seem that it's like that right now. Um, I, I was mentioning to you, I I was, I guess, I had this friend on Facebook um, who will remain nameless uh, who just posted this very emotional post saying that if anybody that is in favor of this protest and it 's in favor of opening up the account- economy uh, if if she has anybody in her family or friends that happens to die because of the virus she 's going to put the blame on those people wow. and she never wants to talk to those people again. I made the mistake of. engaging. (laughs) I should have recognized that that was a big red flag. Uh, And I said, Hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't uh, take such a strong position and try to not, not, I wasn't even trying to change this person's mind. I was just saying, uh, look at the other side of the argument, try to understand it. it's not that they just want money. It's not a matter of lives versus money, because that's how this person is seeing it that we are, we just don't, we just want money. That's what, (laughs) that's what the people that want to open the economy, that's all they care about, money. Um, And it's not not about life versus money, it's about lives versus lives. Because there is a connection between a destroyed economy and um, people's uh, livelihood, not just livelihood, but lives, their mortality. You know, if you don't have money, you can't get medical care. You can't buy medicine. You can't uh, get yourself enough nutrients. Like uh, mm-hmm. there is cause for malnutrition. Uh, if you're locked down and you lose your job and you have no means to maintain yourself and your family, there's depression, which can lead to overdose, which can lead to suicide. Which there's there's so many things that happen as a consequence of a destroyed economy that has to do specifically with people's lives. But it was, you know, I was talking, I was accused, once again, after explaining myself 10 different times, I was accused of being, um, just caring about money, number one, just uh, not caring about uh, people, and, you know, all, all these things, and it's just so frustrating because It's like people are so emotionally invested. They're so afraid, like you said. Uh, Fear has gripped people in such a way that they can't even engage in conversation because anything you say that raises a doubt about their fear, about the justification of their fear, is seen as just ridiculous and dismissed Uh, immediately with some sort of emotional attack against your position.
0: It is. It's crazy. Uh, You and I were just talking a little earlier. There's a new report from the UN who I'm always skeptical of. But in this case, I suspect is actually probably right that there could be a famine coming of biblical proportions in developing economies. So what I would like to ask your friend is how much is the life of one of her family members to potentially millions of people in Africa or other places? Is she willing to make that trade-off? Because we actually are potentially talking about massive trade-offs. And if she right. <laughs> if she is as leftist as she sounds,
1: I'm curious to see what she would respond to that. He or she, I guess. Yeah. And, and that's not just theoretical, right? Because I remember when the US Congress passed a law stating that uh, in the United States, you have to use ten percent ethanol in gas. There was literally a famine created in Africa because of that law. And now, people may wonder, well, how on earth could you have a famine caused because of a of requiring using ethanol in in, in gasoline in the United States? And you can you can Google this; it's very easy to find. This is not hidden information. <laughs> uh, what happened is that. Because they required to use um, corn, ethanol is made out of corn, so because they required this for gas, the demand in ethanol and corn went up, which caused the price of corn to go up. Now, in the United States, that caused the price of corn to go up by a few cents. Does like Nothing significant. But because the price of corn went up, the price of other grains also went up. Again, in the United States, just by a few cents, doesn't matter, nothing significant. But if you live in a country in Africa where you're making a dollar an hour, a few cents is actually significant. And so a lot of people starved to death because of that law. So the consequences of changing, making little changes in the economy actually has significant consequences on people's lives. And we're talking right now of major consequences to the economy as a result of the measures that had been taken to contain the virus. Which, yeah, we don't know what the consequences are going to be, but um, they're they're kind of frightening. They are frightening. I was reading what was a very
0: silly article uh, talking about the meat supply. The fact that so many production facilities have shut down has created a, a bit of an issue in the meat supply. And they were saying, well, that's just a short-term thing. Honestly farmers have too much food and and so in the long term we really shouldn't be worried about having enough meat. Well that's only true if what they said in the rest in another part of the article wasn't true. What they said is farmers have so much food they're actually worried about bankruptcy right now because they can't get rid of it. That's right. That's the concern. If farmers start going bankrupt because they can't sell food, then actually in the long term we might have a real crisis in the food supply and I'm not expecting starvation in the United States. What I am expecting is that things could get drastically harder and people who are already out of work, already desperate, things could get very, very, very scary for them. And that will have a massive cost, who knows about, it. in suicides or, or maybe in terrible cases, maybe people actually dying from not having food, people who are on the streets who are homeless. <laughs> I, if you're not thinking through this, I don't know how you can be qualified to think that you can think through what's good for the coronavirus right now. You, you have to think through the future and not just what is scary in the present is how I think, feel.
1: <laughs> right, and, and one of the huge uh, misunderstandings that I was noticing um, on this specific issue was the whole idea of flattening the curve. Um, and, and the problem with that is that there, there's a huge misunderstanding of what that means. So in, in case, you know, you don't know what it's actually being referred to by flattening the curve. The idea is that, you know, there's the, the, the axis in which you have the number of cases for the virus going up, going up, going up uh, in, in a particular period of time. And then it starts going down after that period of time goes by. And the idea is that the curve goes up very fast and then it goes down fast. And what they're trying to do is flatten that curve so that it's actually only goes up a little, but it goes for a longer period of time. Now, why do they want to do that? Is because there's limited resources in hospitals. Uh, There's a limited number of hospital beds and a limited number of ventilators. So you want to try to, at least that's the theory, is that you want to try to keep the curve low so that you have enough number of beds and hospital supplies in order to treat people that need treatment. The problem is that people, at least the ones I've been discussing with, uh, think that the stay-at-home orders are to flatten the curve, yes, but that that means that less people will get the virus overall. And that actually, it does not mean that at all. In fact, everything that I've seen is that probably the number of people that overall end up getting the virus is exactly the same, whether you flatten the curve or not. The difference is that not everybody gets it at the same time so that you're able to have the healthcare needed to take care of people. Now, by this time, we know we have enough beds in hospitals and we have enough ventilators, we have enough resources to take care of people. Uh, So the idea of continuing the social distancing to flatten the curve is, very fast losing um, grounds for that argument because we've, uh, we have enough resources to take care of people.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I, honestly, Juan, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you explained that really clearly. I do think there is unfortunately, and pointing out to my ancestors in 1918, they accepted illness as a part of life and that bad things would sometimes happen. That's, I think, what we've rejected in our modern society. We think that always we should be taken care of and nothing bad should ever happen to us. And I wish that were true too. I don't like bad things any more than anyone else. But (laughs) trying to avoid those things involving government in crazy ways often creates worse things that can come out of this. And if we don't really accept that sometimes suffering is just a part of life, then we create environments for ourselves that are bananas and crazy and we can't have reasonable conversations or reasonable reasonable discussions that's just the truth and i do think if i was an older person i would stay home and i think it's okay in the long term right. to think if you're at risk or you're older to stay home for a long time maybe until we get a vaccine but it is a very different thing to ask everyone to say none of us should ever have to get sick none of us should ever have
1: to deal with these problems
0: that's not reasonable or okay.
1: Right. And that's another problem with the argument that people are making of enforcing others to stay home. What I don't get is, um, okay, if you don't want to get the virus, why don't you stay home? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, It seems to me that if you want to enforce the stay-at-home orders, which will flatten the curve and extend the period of time in which people are carrying the virus around everywhere, then you have to do it for a longer period of time. Whereas if you if you let people live their daily lives, yeah, a lot more people are going to get the virus all at once. Uh, but it's a shorter period of time, so you can you know if you want to stay home and, and be safe, you can stay at home for a shorter period of time, and then things go back to normal sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah. I think that's how it has to be because I think the costs of this are scary. And and one thing I hear, I think that people have in their mind is that if we get in an economic crisis, the government should just come in and give us money and take care of us. I think that's honestly a viewpoint people have who are on the side. So I want to talk a little bit about the debt because normally I'm not a big, I haven't talked about the debt at the show at all, but I think now it's concerning enough that it's worth talking about. Um, I just read today uh, that um, Mitch McConnell is suggesting that if states get into trouble with unfunded liabilities, basically, they should just accept bankruptcy because they have they have spent all, they have promised so much money, basically, to public employees unions and things like that that it is really unrealistic to think that they'll be to pay this off. And uh, so he's suggesting that rather than have a government bailout, they should just take bankruptcy. Now, there's a lot of reasons that all of this is concerning. One of the reasons, of course, is the fact that. By last year, we had $122 trillion, vastly more than anything in our GDP and unfunded liabilities. And now we have much over, I think it's about, oh, it's like 22, I I, would need to look up the specific numbers, but it's over $20 trillion of just debt. We cannot pay that off if we were to take all of our GDP and try and pay that off. (laughs) That just wouldn't work. So we have this massive debt load that's going up. Um, because of all the coronavirus actions that we've taken, which fine, I understand that in the short term. But imagine a scenario where our economy tanks. The way we pay for our debt is that we create more debt. People buy our debt, and we use new debt to pay old debt. Essentially, is how it works. But if our economy tanks, if the world economy tanks, if everything goes down, I can easily imagine a scenario where people stop buying U.S. government debt. And if that happens, if that happens, and we have over $20 trillion worth of debt, $122 trillion of unfunded liabilities, we will simply not be able to pay that. And I think that will lead to either two options, one, drastic tax increases and slashing of spending at radical levels. That's probably the better option, but it will be very difficult and very painful. Or we could see massive inflation as the government prints mass amounts of money to try and pay that off. And I don't think this is an unrealistic scenario. When you look at, the catastrophe that is occurring in the economy. If that happens, I don't care if the government is giving you $2,000 a month to live off of or whatever. That money will be essentially worthless to you. We cannot pay our way out of a massive economic crisis. I ju- I think that is asking for even worse trouble in the future. And that's one thing we have to think about is does this create a massive debt crisis and a debt load that we cannot pay off that leads to honestly something akin to what happened in the Weimar Republic after World War One. Or what we're seeing in Venezuela now, I think that's the kind of poverty we see, we would see in this country if we got to a level where we could no longer pay our debts.
1: Yeah, sometimes I, I wonder if people are living in la la land because <laughs> they think that oh yeah, but the government will continue to pay for things. So w- one of these people that I was I was arguing with, uh, and I was bringing up the the point of the economy collapsing. Um, and you know, the consequences of that, people are not going to have enough money to buy medicine, to buy food, blah, blah, blah. And the response was, well, but you know, we have right now companies that are still giving paychecks to people and that are, um, and, uh, food banks where people can go get food and et cetera, et cetera. Well, that only works if you continue having an economy that supports that, yeah. Uh, so I think um, thinking of your point, it's kind of like okay, a millionaire can have a big debt, right if they continue getting millions of dollars year upon year upon year, but if they have if they lose their income for whatever reason and they still have the same amount of debt, uh they're not going to be able to pay for it anymore, and that's what's happening to the government when you shut down the economy uh purposefully uh, the government doesn't have that income because the the income of the government comes from the economy mm-hmm. from people people and companies and everybody paying taxes and if people and companies are not paying taxes because they're not producing anything they're not people are not buying anything then the the government loses its income and it it loses that ability that some people on the left wanted to have to just Continue to give them free money. They can't do that. It's just that's unsustainable in the long term Yeah, it's it's a request for
0: catastrophe and we'll maybe start seeing that catastrophe in the states when they potentially go bankrupt But if people can't trust the states to pay off their debts It's going to I think have a cascading effect where they're gonna say can we even trust the federal government to pay off their debts? They have the same exact
1: problem and, uh, and a, and not, a difficulty that. A difficulty is like usually you can look at certain metrics like the um, um, like the stock market because you can look at the stock market and the stock market will kind of tell you what the people with money think about what's going to happen. So, right, so the people that have that own a lot of stocks in ban- in uh, banks or uh, the big insurance companies or, or all that, they know how those companies are doing financially, and so they can kind of tell. Well if things are going good i 'm going to keep buying stock or if things are going bad i 'm going to start selling and yes the 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 stock market crashed from twenty nine thousand I think the Dow was before this happened to uh, to nineteen thousand so it lost a third of its value um, and it has recovered a lot of it um, but the the problem is you can 't really look at. The recovery of the stock market to tell you what investors are thinking about the future because the fed injected about four trillion dollars into the stock market so if the fed is throwing money into the stock market it raises the question is this really investors that think that things uh, are looking good or is it more the fed injecting money that's stopping things from completely collapsing um so that's that that's it's, it's a difficult question to answer whether investors are actually thinking things are not bad, whether things will actually come back to normal or not, uh, because the hand of the government is, is fidgeting with the numbers.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that is actually a really good point. And I suppose I just wish that people who wanted to call everybody racist and hateful and horrible things who want to think these through would sit down and think, well, wait a minute. We weren't prepared for the coronavirus. They probably, I probably, that person is prob- was probably not prepared for the coronavirus. Can we be prepared for the next crisis? Or do we just have to walk blindly into this because we're so emotional and terrified? That's, that's not an appropriate public response. It's not an appropriate response for any politician, though it seems like most of them are headed in that direction. It's not an appropriate way to behave as a citizen, I really believe.
1: Have you gotten your check, by the
0: way? I have not in my check, yes.
1: Yeah, I have not. Oh so, really? <laughs> yeah. And and I, I went to uh, the IRS page to because I guess you can put in your information to want like to find out what the status is. Yeah and it says no status. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, does that mean that I'm getting it or am I not getting it? Like uh <laughs> what a useless things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For, fortunately, because of how the funding from the school works every year I have to actually pay taxes rather than get a refund so you know if 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 I never get the check I'll just be like well I'm not paying you because you never paid me so <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's understandable I I haven't paid yet this year but I know that's coming that's actually probably what most of my stimulus check will go to is paying them back or <laughs> oh
1: yeah yeah that's that's basically what I was gonna do that's what I'm saying well it'll even out yeah <laughs> Uh, Well, you've been listening to Citizen Talk, the show that's restoring prudence to politics. I'm Juan Davalos.
0: And I'm Lynette Grunvig, and this is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. You can also hear us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search for us one word, Citizen Talk, and be prepared for the future.
1: (laughs) And YouTube, maybe. that's right. (laughs)